unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Welcome again to another show coming up. We are going to talk to Eric Lopez. He's a man who covers many things like the NBA and the Orlando Magic, college football, UFC. We'll talk about those things as well as Major League Baseball and the National Football League and a little bit of Seinfeld too. Eric Lopez standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. A couple of other topics to touch upon quickly. Colin Morikawa wins the PGA Championship. So the PGA Championship becoming the first major of the year. Typically it's the last. The 23-year-old, the newest young gun that uh, we can all fall in love with uh, as as golf fans. And it's so interesting how these... uh, Titles have been passed. You know, first it was Rory, then it was Justin Spieth. It's almost like the Flavor of the Month Club. And now Morikawa will be the celebrated young player on the PGA Tour. It is amazing, though, that these guys can win these majors. It seems like they're getting younger and younger uh, as that uh, develops. College football. Will we have it? Will we won't? It's on again. It's on again. It's on again. Sort of. Just a Crazy, crazy mess. Uh, Eric Lopez and I will talk about that among the number of topics we will cover. But it just totally is off the rails because you have all these conferences with their own interests at heart, not the good of the sport overall. And what have they been doing? What have they been doing? as the season fast approaches and now just kind of getting around to, Oh yeah, I guess we better figure out what we're doing here. (laughs) It's crazy. 49ers signed their beast of a tight end, George Kittle, five year, $75 million contract extension. He probably along with Travis, Travis Kelsey, the best tight ends in the game. Rob Gronkowski will probably take exception to that. We'll see what he does after his uh, year off as he returns with his, Buddy Tom over in Tampa. The Dallas Cowboys make a big signing. Former Vikings defensive end Everson Griffin, one-year deal. They've been loading up on the D-line. Recent signings have been Don Terry Poe, Gerald McCoy, Alden Smith uh, to join uh, the standout Demarcus Lawrence on that D-line. They've picked up uh, Ha Clinton Dix in the secondary. It'd be interesting to see, you know, the Cowboys have focused so much on their offense over the years. They've got all those pieces in place, and now they're uh, under Mike McCarthy, uh, he's got Mike Nolan as his D coordinator, and they're uh, putting some emphasis on uh, making that defense better, which will certainly be a good thing for them. All right, time now to welcome to the program one of my stable of sports guys. Elo, Eric Lopez is here. We're going to talk some NBA in the bubble, baseball, football, UFC, and more. A pleasure to welcome Eric Lopez back to the show. Eric, how are you? Doing good. As good as we can be under these uh, times here as we try to figure out what's ahead of us here in the fall and beyond. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, well, well, lots to dig into as far as that is concerned, as far as the fall season goes. But uh, at least now we have some live sports back. Major League Baseball is back. The MLS is back. The NBA is back. And, of course, uh, you know, who knew that uh, in 2020, Orlando would become the center of the NBA universe. And uh, we have the bubble at a Disney World and the Magic making the playoffs once again. Um, and the good news is that in the bubble that uh, they have been able to have zero positives, which has been uh, great news and has allowed them to uh, function and get the, the playoffs, the, the end of the regular season and the playoffs underway. It really has been. It's been a tremendous credit to Adam Silver and the league and coming up with this idea. It took them a while to figure this out. It's costing them a lot of money. It's been reported that it's costing them about 150 to $200 million for this bubble. Obviously, a credit to Disney, and it's not a surprise Disney owns ESPN, so there's obviously the TV partners right there, uh, and they have set it up beautifully. I mean, I've watched it. I've been covering this for one of my freelance gigs, uh, not in the bubble, but outside, but just talking to people in the bubble and the players and the coaches in the post game. They are very comfortable there. They're very pleased. They feel safe. Uh, there's strict rules in there, but the quality of, of play has been very good, uh, not necessarily for the Magic, but for everybody else, uh, has been really high quality, and it's been much better than I think people might have even anticipated. I know I have. I wondered how it would look without fans, but I think of all the sports that's come back, at least on television, I would say that the NBA has done a uh, fantastic job. They have, uh, they have done a marvelous job with the broadcast production and the, the way the court looks, and the players have done a great job playing some great basketball. So it's so far so good. You know, knock on wood, they're not done yet. We still, they got a long ways to go. They're going to start the playoffs here, and then that doesn't, that lasts until October. So they're not out of the woods, but so far so good. Yeah, and it's just to think, you know, the NBA is really, you know, when the, the sports world shut down after, you know, Rudy Gobert got the positive test, the NBA was the first to shut the doors. Uh, all the conference uh, tournaments followed suit at that point, and uh, in the beginning of the, the downtime had started. And again, since they've come back, it has uh, definitely been uh, good news. And you really got to give the credit to uh, Adam Silver. They were not the first to come back, but maybe that extra time, they, they used it well. Exactly. And that's a great point right there. They use their time well, as opposed to college football, which <laughs> evidently used all their time and really did nothing. And as a result, we have chaos in that sport. But credit to them. Credit to the uh, Women's Professional Soccer League, which was the first league to come back. Credit to Don Garber and the MLS, who had some, you know, early adversity with the bubble. They had a, they had to kick two teams out. But after that, they were fine. And the, I thought the tournament was a success. And a credit to the NHL and Gary Bettman. They have two bubbles up in Canada. So if, if we've learned anything is the bubble works in this climate. And that's a credit to those leagues for coming up with the concept and being willing to do it. And a credit to the players for agreeing to it and not being stubborn about it. And thankfully, we have sports because of it. Yeah, so we have the magic in the in the playoffs once again. They whatever's left it. of them. Yeah, whatever is <laughs> left of them. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, Jonathan Isaac coming down with the uh, with the injury, uh, and, uh, and and he is done for the season. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. The, of course, they get the uh, the top seed, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, which is certainly <laughs> an order that would have been tall at full strength. Um, what are your thoughts as the as the Magic uh, embark on that adventure? 
I think they're in big trouble. Uh, you know, the Isaac injury was just crushing. I argued that he was their best two-way player. I really liked how he was playing. And when he came down, I don't think they've recovered. They've, Aaron Gordon is not healthy. Uh, they, they're just so banged up. And the thing is, they are winless against the Raptors and the Bucks. They're like 0-6 combined. So I don't even think if getting to the seventh seed would have made that big of a difference. Maybe it would have been a little more competitive. But the disappointing thing, if you're a Magic fan, is they were playing well out of the All-Star break. And then obviously we had the hiatus. And when they came back, they were a half game behind the Nets for the seventh spot. And you think on paper with the Nets, no Durant, no Kyrie Irving. I mean, all their marquee guys are gone. You're thinking, oh, this should be a shoe in. The Magic should be a seven seed. They blew out the Nets the first game of the of the bubble. But it's been uh, it's not been the case. They've gone backwards. And I think that's the disappointing thing is actually from a Magic perspective, Jeff, they, they will leave this bubble actually worse off than they did coming in because they lost Jonathan Isaac not only for this bubble, but probably for all of next year. And uh, so they have taken steps backwards after making the playoffs last year, uh, this year. Yeah, so uh, it looks to be like a short stay, unfortunately, uh, once that uh, once the playoffs get underway. But, uh, uh, of course, you, since you are covering uh, for News 24-7, all of the, uh, the playoff action, um, why don't you give us a little handicap of the East? What do you think is going to happen on that side of the – well, what's so fascinating about this uh, is there is no home court advantage. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Milwaukee, who is the best team in the East and would have had home court throughout, would have been the heavy favorite. And I still think they're the favorites because they have the best player in the conference in Giannis. However, because there is no home court, teams like the Celtics, if they, with Kemba Walker getting getting back healthy from his knee issue, and Tatum, and Jalen Brown, and Gordon Haywood. I think they're really good in the three spot. I think they're a dangerous team. Toronto, Nick Nurse, who's probably, to me, is the coach of the year. Without, you know, Kawhi Leonard leaves to go to the Clippers, they are still a strong contender. They're a two-seed. Miami's well-coached with Jimmy Butler. I think the East is open. Milwaukee is still the favorite, but because there's no home court, I think it's a wide-open field, and I wouldn't be surprised, Jeff, if you see in this bubble more upsets than we normally would see in the NBA playoffs because of the lack of home court advantage. Mm. Yeah, that definitely uh, could definitely be a key there. Um, and then at, in the, on the Western side, you know, we still don't have a full playoff bracket yet because uh, there's going to be a play-in for the eighth seed. And going into today, there's a log jam uh, to see what that matchup's going to be. And that's significant because the Lakers, if you're the Laker fan, you do not want to see the Portland Trailblazers at all. Uh, Damian Lillard has arguably been the best player since they've been to the bubble. He just came off 61 points against Dallas in the victory. And the Portland presents a bad matchup for the Lakers. The Lakers have issues guarding the perimeter right now. They don't have a lot of perimeter shooting. Remember, they had Avery Bradley who opted out, which is one of the best wing defenders they had on their roster. I think the Lakers have a lot of issues. Now, they do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and if they turn it up a notch, they could still get it come out of the West. But again, as I just mentioned, they will not have a home court advantage. So all of a sudden, all, the, the, all that advantage you're working for the whole year is gone. And I think the team like the Clippers, I still think are the favorites. I would pick them. But the Clippers are going to have to deal with maybe the one of the, uh, the next superstar in the NBA and Luka Doncic, who looks like, 
un- I mean, it's hard to believe what he's doing at 21 years old. And the combo of him and Porzingis is electric for Dallas. The Western Conference is loaded as usual. You talk about up. I mean, anybody can beat anybody in the Western Conference. The Rockets, now they're dealing with an injury with Russell Westbrook, but they're certainly capable if they can get him back healthy with, with James Harden. Uh, again, because of the lack of home court, I think it's a wide open field. And if you're a Laker fan, if you see Portland in that first round, that could be a really long series, six or seven games for a one versus eight, more than usual. And that could take its toll on someone like LeBron James' body. You know, as you go through these games every other day, that could take its toll and it could work to the advantage of a team like the Clippers. Yeah, and if you know, and you really got to like, uh, you know, as you mentioned, what the great job they've done with the bubble and the fact that they've been able to get so much uh, exposure and things like that. How do you think the, the TV ratings will pull for the playoffs? I think the ratings for the TV playoffs are going to be really good. I know some people have been commenting about their regular season number since they've returned, but I think it's kind of you have to throw that out because the NBA has done something on, that you normally don't do, which is a lot of games are airing regionally. So even though there's a national game on ESPN or TNT or ABC, there are still games going on regionally. Plus, you could still watch, for example, the Magic the other night was on TNT, but you could still watch them locally on Fox Sports Florida. So that's going to hinder the national ratings. It's kind of like baseball in a way. And the reason why the NBA is doing that is they're trying to recoup the money from the local TV broadcast. A lot of teams have clauses in their deal where they reach 70 games or things like that. The added, you know, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars at stake there. So I think the NBA, that was the purpose. I expected to get strong numbers, um, especially as we get deeper into the playoffs. The numbers, it's going to be weird because you're going to have afternoon playoff games. And those aren't going to draw big numbers because it's the afternoon, but it's still going to draw pretty well. So it's unique. I'm fascinated, but I think it's going to do very well. I think the NBA, if you look at the sports that have returned, Golf has been doing monster numbers since its return. It's up. They had over five and a half million viewers for the final round of the PGA Championship. I think the NBA, once it gets now to the playoffs and it's a best of seven, you're going to see a kick in. And if we have quality, entertaining series, which I really do think we're going to have, because again, there is no home court advantage. If we have a a much of six and seven game series, that will help the ratings as well. So I think the NBA is in for, I think, a solid TV uh, uh, run here in the next couple of months. Will be interesting to see. And you know, we were talking about, you know, sports that have done well inside the bubble. Major League Baseball did not do a bubble, and they've had their share of challenges. First with the Marlins, now the Cardinals, who have gone like seems seems like uh, two weeks now without playing baseball. And you look at a point, you know, they're gonna come to a point where they're not gonna be able to make up all the games they're losing. Right. And then you look at the fact they're gonna have so many double headers, you're gonna penalize the teams that they're playing having to burn through their pitching staffs. Agreed. As a Marlins fan, I hear you. We, I'm not really looking forward to that September schedule where they have like a thousand double headers being scheduled there. Uh, it's going to benefit your Braves there, Jeff. I mean, not not, not to sound bitter about it, but you might, <laughs> you're going to benefit from that more than likely. But I think if the players and the owners in baseball had to do it over again, if they knew they were going to play a 60-game schedule, I think they should have looked into doing the bubble 
at that point. The players were actually against it. And I understood why. They thought they can get 100 games in. You don't want to be in the bubble for a lengthy period of time. But you're seeing the issues of not having a bubble comes with travel. You're traveling to different places. Uh, all You know, it, you can just randomly catch it, and it spreads like wildfire. That's why you're all of a sudden it's not an accident that you're starting to hear some talk about Major League Baseball possibly having the playoffs in a bubble setting where you have it in a certain ballpark like California with Dodger Stadium and Anaheim, for example, where you use that as your location to have the baseball players because what you don't want to do, Jeff, you know, it's one thing for the Cardinals to not play for like a month during the regular season. What you don't want is a, an outbreak to happen during your playoffs and all mm. of a sudden your playoffs have to be shut down. That is the nightmare scenario. So I think, I think Major League Baseball will move to a bubble for the playoffs to preserve that if they can get to that point. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's the big if right now. Although I would say you know a lot of the teams have uh, you know uh, outside of maybe Cleveland now who's had a little bit of an issue. Uh, by and large, most teams are following protocol, and you know hope you know it looks like the healthiest team will be the one that, that comes out on top. You you hope that they got a wake up call, right? Like a lot of people got the wake up call with the Marlins and what happened with the Cardinals. That maybe, and I think they've strictened on certain things. So you hope that moving forward they'll be okay. Uh, you take it day by day. But I do think, again, the playoffs, I think, will be in a bubble setting here shortly. And I think to preserve it, because you don't want what happened to the 1990 Stanley Cup final where a team literally had an outbreak during the 1918 uh, influenza flu and uh, the Stanley Cup final could not be completed. I don't, I, you're, you're trying to avoid that if you're Major League Baseball or any of these sports. Yeah, that's for sure. And, of course, we did allude to it earlier. What in the heck was college football doing? Although I will say this really points to the fact that your Division One college football's major problem is it does not have a single point of leadership. And you have all these conferences, particularly the Power Five, driving the narrative on what should be and what shouldn't be. And that's really come back to bite them in this situation. It really has. Uh... You know, football has always been run by the major conferences. But what's funny is there's always been speculation that the quote-unquote Power Five, the Autonomous Five, however you want to call them, was going to just separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Well, we've learned that they can't even get along among themselves. <laughs> they, they're, they're separating among themselves, where the Big Ten and the Pac-12 going a different direction than the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12. And then the American is kind of hanging around there uh, as well. It's a mess. It's embarrassing. Uh, for college athletics, it, it, and I, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate. I'm not surprised anybody that's followed college athletics for a while isn't surprised that they're at this position because they've never been able to be on the same page. So uh, clearly a lot of them assume that everything would be fine by this point, and we're not, and they're paying the price for it. They're kind of scrambling here, and they have their own medical experts, and they're trying to do all these protocols, but just because you have all these protocols doesn't, you know, doesn't mean anything. We, a lot of these schools haven't even had classes start yet. What's going to happen to these football players and, play, and, and student athletes when the students start coming to campus? Now you're going to find out what happens when they travel. That's where you have spreads. Heck, I mean, as we, if we, talk, as we talk, FIU just had a spread announced. Uh, they have an outbreak over there at FIU, which is obviously is now going to affect the UCF football schedule because they were supposed to play FIU on September 12th. So I'm not optimistic at all, Jeff, and I haven't been optimistic for a while that we're going to have a college football season. And uh, unfortunately, I feel stronger about that each day. 
Yeah, and you know, and what you said, you know, really piqued my interest too, because I certainly thought that the Power Five would take advantage of this dire situation to pull that separation move, and the fact that they're fighting amongst themselves is the thing that's kind of saving the rest of, of the conferences. It just shows you, yeah, it just shows you they can't do it. And I know people are asking for a leader in college. I just don't know if the leadership would, if you put appointed somebody as a leader would make a difference here. Because like Rob Menfred, as you know, is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. But at the end of the day, he's answer, he's just doing what the owners want him to do. So he's not, you know, and you have this function within Major League Baseball. So I feel like even if you had a leader in college athletics and college football right now, I still feel like we would have this dysfunction just because who is that person going to be answering questions to? More than likely, the power conferences. So it's dysfunctional. Some people think that you know, maybe in the long run this is a good thing because maybe it'll reset everything. But uh, it's unfortunate because there's going to be a lot of layoffs, and I think a lot of programs might get lost as a result of all this. But uh, you're dealing with a pandemic, and, and I think college football, made a lot of people made the mistake thinking that everything will be just fine come the fall, and clearly it's not. Yeah, well, what I also dislike about this is that, you know, college football now is in the fray because now this has become very politicized. And, yeah. I, I, and I hate the fact that, you know, and I, and I hate the fact that it's been politicized to the extreme on both sides because I've also, we're in the middle. Why can't you have both? Why can't you approach, you know, having football but doing it safely it seems like you 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 have to pick one camp or the other and and to me it's a shame that's going to happen to this sport at least in the college game well i think a big part of this is the fact you're dealing with players that don't get paid Hmm. because you're not hearing this conversation in the nfl Right. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with the NFL, but it's very quiet. And they're doing, you know, simp- you know, we'll see if it works out for them or not. They have some protocols. But I think the difference in this situation is you're dealing with players that don't get paid. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable from a liability standpoint. I think that's one of the reasons why the Big Ten and the Pac-12 shut down as quickly as they did. They didn't want to. They don't want to deal with a liability here if something happens to one of the kids, and so that's what triggers a lot of this. Can you do this safely or not? And is it really a good look that you're doing this? Because we all know why they're doing it. They're doing it for economic reasons. Hmm. Is it a good look that you're doing this with a bunch of kids that are basically free labor? Now, some would argue, wait, they're getting a scholarship and all that. We're not going to get into whether he should get paid or not, because I don't think they should get necessarily paid. I think, I think football players in particular are taken care of pretty well in college. However, however, to ask them to play a violent sport and, and risk health uh, for free, basically, that, that's going to make a lot of people kind of feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, you know, we both obviously have a strong interest in what happens at UCF. Yeah. And uh, they've uh, definitely have had their schedule uh, upended uh, by all the things that have gone on around and outside of them. Um, and again, I think uh, I'm hearing you that you feel doubtful that college football is going to uh, either, either it launches or it's a very short flight. <laughs> I think that's a very appropriate way of describing it. Unfortunately, um, you know, I don't have an issue with the American for going forward with this. I think from the American standpoint, they have to stick around. You don't want to bail. This is an opportunity for it. Cause if it works, if you're able to get this season through, you'll benefit from this, especially in the current climate, you're hanging around with the sec and the ACC. If they have a college football playoff, you might have a better shot to get one of your teams in IE UCF, if they were to go and defeat it. So I understand why you have to try because 
the spring is too complicated to figure out if you could pull it off or not. So I understand trying to give it time, trying to see if you could pull it off. And in fairness to these leagues, it's not like they've said we're definitely playing. I think they're just trying to see if they could pull it off. So mm-hmm. I think we got to keep that in mind. But I'm just not optimistic that they will be able to pull it off. I think there's too many obstacles there. Too many players. Jeff, you and I were 18 to 22-year-olds. Do you really, would you trust? I wouldn't trust myself when I was 20 years. Heck, I don't trust myself now, let alone when I was 22 years old and doing the right things and staying out of bars and things. You know what I'm saying? That's the problem. Uh, No, I made some very questionable decisions at that age that uh, some, you know, you was like, oh, I could, if I could have done that differently, right? Um, Yeah, and then you look at the fact that, you know, they're talking about, you know, potentially doing spring football. I don't see how you pull that off and expect to have a 2021 season start in the fall. I agree with you. I'm skeptical. I think it would almost have to be two shortened seasons, one in the spring and the fall. What I don't know, and I'm not Danny White. Danny White might know the answer to this. What is the economic uh, effects of that? Is it beneficial economically from a UCF standpoint to have a spring season, especially if you have fans, and then have it in the fall? Probably, maybe yes. If the answer is yes, then I think they're going to try to do that. If they feel like it's very not a big difference – then you're right. Then you might as well just go ahead and move to the forward. But I have a feeling that some schools will try to play the spring because they got to recoup some money. Some may not, which is kind of what college football is at this point. Some are doing what they got to do, and and you know, it's just uh, it's just chaos. And and unfortunately, we're going to be in chaos for a while. It's a hot mess, that's for sure. Um, we did see something very interesting in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, Mackenzie Milton had a checkup, and uh, we saw some uh, uh, very encouraging video of him uh, working out, hopping on one leg, running side to side, backwards. Um, you know, I still think it's a long shot that he plays football again, but uh, the more I see, the more I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe I could sway a little bit differently, but uh, the fact that he's gotten as far as he's gotten is, is truly inspirational. It really is. And if you look at someone that could benefit from a season being delayed to the spring, mm-hmm. Mackenzie Milton jumps right at the top of the list, right? Can you imagine that if we move the season to the spring and UCF does play in the spring and the court, and then all of a sudden we find out, Hey, Mackenzie Milton's been cleared. Oh boy. Boy, wouldn't that be some chatter going on in that quarterback situation. Right. And, and, and it's a really interesting dilemma because if you play in the spring in the fall, do you consider maybe playing Milton in the spring and saving Dylan Gabriel, let's say, for the fall, mm-hmm. right? Because there is a, a, a health concern. If you're going to try to play spring in the fall, and the questions I have presented on Black and Gold Banneret is, okay, if you want to play in the spring, and you mentioned in the fall, are you going to ask these guys to play 20 games in a calendar year, basically, 20 to 24 games? So you might, you might want to consider, you know, protecting some of your players if you're going to try to play in the spring and the fall, maybe hold some guys back to the fall if you have the depth to do that. And I think UCF does in particular at the quarterback position. So that could be some of the storylines we see in 2021 with UCF. But just the mere fact that we're even having this conversation is remarkable because I think if you and I were talking two years ago, we would be even – we would be like – offended we'd probably be offended that one of us brought that up right we'd be like how dare you like were you not at the stadium when he almost lost his leg how can you even bring that up well we're bringing it up that's a great positive how much strides he has made here in the last couple years that we're even having this conversation that is absolutely for sure and while college football has its myths the nfl is 
somewhat hopeful, in my opinion, of being able to pull off uh, having a a season and having having it come to completion, at least in my opinion, um, because I think the NFL has always. To me, they have a they have an amazing amount of luck. <laughs> I mean, you look what they did with the draft and 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 all that, and that they've had time. We think they've used their time well. Again, you said they've been a little bit quiet, but uh, they've been going about their business. And the NFL does seem to do things you know top notch, better than everybody else. So I think they have a, a great shot at pulling this off. And again, they're not dealing with you know. Uh, you know they're dealing with 32 teams, not with uh, with you know 300 college teams right. and and the multitude of sports. So they have a they have a much narrower scale, and they can look at baseball and see what went wrong there, and and maybe kind of uh, balance out. How do you think it's going to play out for the uh, National Football League? I'm fascinated by it. I know they've tried some things. Like for example, you've seen it on where they've done the the helmet. They've mm-hmm. created these helmets where it kind of protects you from the the virus from as far as spreading you know from your mouth uh the shit you know the, with a face guard uh there's been teams that are actually spraying uh, disinfected uh you know over the field so in other words to make sure you know you disinfect yourself from potentially ca- any having any virus they're testing uh right now frequently i don't know if you saw the first episode of hard knocks with the Chargers and the Rams, but they was pretty much a very heavy show. They pretty much went out of their way to show you this is what we're doing against COVID-19. Here's all the testing that we're doing. Here's all the protocol. So they're not hiding from it. They have a plan. Will it work? Who knows? But they're going to give it a shot. And the advantage that they have is they are the king of sports. So in other words, if they have to postpone, TV will say, no problem. You let us know when you want to play and we'll be here for you. You know, <laughs> they, if, if, they, if the NFL – in fact, I've read where the NFL has actually uh, has saved hotels in, in uh, Tampa, which is where the Super Bowl is supposed to take place, up until a month after the Super Bowl is scheduled. So, in other words, they've given themselves weeks here if they have to push it back just in case. So, they have thought about some of these things, and I hope for everybody's sake it works out because we all want to see some football this fall. So, I hope it works out for them. Could there be some interruptions? Perhaps. But I think they will get through and keep this in mind. If they play a, a, a single snap, all the player contracts are guaranteed at that point. So at that point, there's motivation on both sides to, you know, they need the money. Mm-hmm. The players don't get paid if they don't play. So that's why they're going to play. And the owners, obviously, they get their money from television and the sports TV product. So I, I think they'll play. I wouldn't be surprised if there's interruptions, but I do think we'll have an NFL season. Will it end on, on time? I don't know about that, but it, it'll end at some point. Yeah, and then you look at the fact that, you know, what a sports smorgasbord it would be to have the NFL. You've got the NBA, the NHL. You've got uh, majors in golf happening uh, all in this uh, packed part of the calendar year. Uh, will certainly make up for all the sports that we were that we did without uh, over the early part of spring. It, I mean, it's been, it's been fun. I mean, to have hockey and basketball in the afternoon all the way to night has been pretty remarkable. Like, I've watched more hockey playoffs uh, already than I have probably normally because it's there. Like I've watched a lot of, like I watched the five overtime game with the lightning in Columbus from the beginning. Cause it started at three o'clock <laughs> yep. in the afternoon. Um, and the NBA has been starting games early and there's going to be playoff games in the afternoon. So it's like a March madness feel to it where it's going on hockey and basketball going on all day and night. So it is a busy time in that respect. If it works out with the NFL and sports and keep this in mind, if there's no college football this fall, if everybody cancels, 
don't be surprised if the NFL jumps in and plays games on Saturdays and takes that spot. Yeah, I would not be surprised by that either and would be a, a terrific move on their part. No and question. the NFL numbers, by the way, would be through the roof. Oh, you through know that's roof. true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, of course, like I said, you are like one of the hardest working men in show business, and you are now um, you're covering a UFC 250. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. How about Dana White and UFC, first of all? I mean, can you give them credit? I mean, they, they've been going on among their business. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they built their own, you know, uh, fight Island. Uh, that's been tremendous for them. So they have been managing to run their business pretty normal under these circumstances. So a credit to him and UFC, they've been, cause they dominated TV for a while at the beginning here when there was nothing else going on. So, you know, UFC 250 is significant. You got Amanda Nunez, obviously, uh, you know, going to be fighting here. I mean, that's a big in the women's that's a division there. That's a big, big fight that to me jumps out to me about UFC 250. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see this card. I hope it doesn't go super late. Some of these cards have been going all the way to one o'clock, uh, which has been kind of annoying, but uh, it's UFC 250 is going to be fast. It's a big number. You know, you look at UFC over the years, they've had their ups and downs, but it's been uh, it's been tremendous what they've been able to do historically uh, for UFC and and they're and you know it's credit to Dana White. I mean, even though they lose fighters, they retire or supposedly retire and things like that, uh, they manage to move forward uh, with their cards and and you know even through all this. Yeah, and uh, and yet another sports you get to cover. <laughs> Something like hey, we'll take what we can get. Hey, absolutely. And um, and then, of course, one of the things I wanted to touch base with you on while we had you on the show is uh, back when uh, Trace Trulco was on and we uh, were doing our TV theme segment and we talked about Seinfeld. Uh, we uh, heard from you on Twitter and uh, had some interesting thoughts about that. And uh, um, I think one of the ones you had was, uh, what would the characters be doing today? Uh, you know, had the show continued or what? what oh, yeah, hypothetical. Yeah, okay. so, what, so what was your hypothetical on that? What do you? What are your thoughts? Well, by the way, I want to give a – I forget to mention, Daniel Cormier, the main event of this card, UFC 252. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Uh, could be his last fight. Great TV guy. So that's the big storyline for this particular UFC 252. Daniel Cormier could be his last fight fighting uh, Strake Milicic. So credit that. That's the one to watch uh, as far as all the fights for uh, UFC 252 uh, this, uh, you know, for the, for the weekend. But as far as Seinfeld, so this is my thing. I think, I think we both agree Seinfeld by far is the greatest TV show sitcom yep. ever. Um, I personally don't think we'll ever have a sitcom as good as Seinfeld. I know you, you and Trace have brought up other shows that have been good recently, like how I met your mother, right? Big bang theory. Big bang theory. I would say is, is, you know, is, is, I think that's in my, I think it's in my top five for sure. Yeah. So I, I think it's good, but nothing is like Seinfeld that dominated because Seinfeld left on their prime. I mean, a lot of people thought they could have gone for a couple more years. If he, if Jerry wanted to Jerry Seinfeld, um, it, I do wonder what they would have done if they would have continued moving forward. Like I thought, I ha- I hated the series finale. I don't know what you thought about it. I, I'll give you. Let me give you a thought on that real quick because I actually yeah. liked it. Only really? The, yeah, only from the fact that it really epitomized how despicable they were. <laughs> and maybe, and that was maybe the whole point of the uh, the show, right? I mean, that, that, and the concept of the of the show, and and uh, I did like the fact they had so many uh, that they had all the people that had been on the show uh, doing the guest spots, you know, the Keith Hernandez, and I did like Jackie, that, and Jackie Childs, and all that. That was all to me was very well done. 
I do agree with that part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think to me, what would they have been doing? Like, I, th- I mean, think about uh, what would Jerry be doing right now? Like, I kind of feel like when I see Cur- a lot of people I know like Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David, but I feel like, and Larry David obviously was a big part of Seinfeld. But I, I feel like would Seinfeld just be a, a kind of a similar version to Curb Your Enthusiasm with just a bigger cast with a better, maybe a more likable cast? Um, I don't know. But I still believe this. If Seinfeld was on right now, it would do big numbers. I would I would seem to agree with that. That's I mean, sure. you could argue it's the most successful syndicated TV program, right? Because Seinfeld's everywhere still. You could yeah. still watch it everywhere, uh, wherever you would like on TV or on stream. And it's still, and to me... It still relates today. Like, you can watch any episode right now of Seinfeld. Like, I can watch The Bubble Boy. The mm-hmm. Bubble Boy. What, how, isn't that like the perfect episode right now? The yeah. Bubble Boy? Yeah. With everything just going on? I mean, they were like ahead of their time. And, and I, have you ever seen Jerry in person perform? I have. I, I have on two different occasions. Me, Actually, me too. I have a great story. I mean, I've seen him at, uh, you know, at a big arena. But I saw him when he was coming up through the ranks and when he was always on Letterman back in the 80s. And he played a, a, a comedy club in Daytona Beach. And me and my buddies had, had, had saw him on Letterman. And, oh, man, we got to go see this guy. And it was it was fantastic. And he comes out after the show and we're all having a drink uh, around the bar with Jerry Seinfeld. And everybody's asking, hey, what's Letterman like? <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, he, he's, he, he's he a genius. Yes. Well, it's a brilliant. The material is just unbelievable. And that show, I mean, it literally was a show about nothing. And yet it was <laughs> riveting. How many shows could pull that off? Not many. No. Uh, yeah, it's just incredible. And you talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, that, you know, it went out of ratings winner and to think that it was low rated and almost got canceled. The first year, right? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, they didn't know if it would work or not. The Seinfeld Chronicles, and uh, I think it was going up against Home Improvement at the time and with Tim Allen, and it, it and, and it's a credit because, unfortunately, one of the negatives of today's television is there's no patience. Mm-hmm. So a show gets canceled in five minutes real quickly, yeah. whereas you're right, back then – it gave it time. It believe you know. It, it believed in it, and it found its audience. And unfortunately, that's my disappointment with television today. Is I don't think any of these shows are given enough time to build an audience. So I don't think we'll ever see shows like that anymore because there's constant pressure to be successful right off the bat, which I think is unfair. And uh, by the way, that last episode of Seinfeld, seventy six million viewers. Yeah, <laughs> we'll never. We will never see a TV show. Uh, outside of the Super Bowl, and obviously, but that's not a, you know, I'm talking about a TV sitcom in a network television. We'll never see 76 million viewers. We'll yeah, never I, see it again. Yeah, and, and MASH prior to that, it, it, uh, and I think they still hold the all-time record, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, think about this, too. One of the things you said of why it still resonates today, and, uh, and, and, and I heard Jerry talk about this one time, and I, they kind of followed the blueprint of the Dick Van Dyke show, is they really made no outside very occasionally they really didn't play to the time period or reference any current events or things like that. They focused strictly on the comedy, which is what the Dick Van Dyke show was. And of course, you know, Jerry looked up to the Carl Reiner, uh, who was the the genius behind that. Sure. I think that is a main cog of why that, because you can go back and watch a Dick Van Dyke show and laugh your head off. Agreed. And we can all relate to what they're saying, right? What each episode was thinking about, whether it be selfish things or whatever. Like, yeah, I can relate to that, <laughs> you know? Uh, and that was the thing that was a beauty. It wasn't like certain, like there's certain movies you watch now that you, you know, that aired like 30 years ago that just, you're like, oh, 
I don't know if that, that doesn't really relate now. Like that's war games. <laughs> right. So I, I think Seinfeld did a great job with that. Like the Keith Hernandez episode, which is my favorite episode about who was the spitter, you know? <laughs> I mean, how do you not relate to that? Like, I, I'd be curious who did it too. They're spitting and Newman. I mean, it's just anytime that show comes on, you you get sucked in and you watch because it's really quality uh, television and quality comedy and uh, very, they just do it. They make it look easier than they really should be, than it really is. That's yes. the impressive thing. And I think he's a genius. Um, uh, and we're fortunate that they NBC gave him time because who knows if they would have been given a fair shake in today's climate. Yeah. And then I also always think back at the Keith Hernandez episodes, uh, when, you know, it was almost like, you know, the, uh, him and Jerry, it's like, well, next thing you know, you'd be taking him to the airport. <laughs> right. Or what about the episode where they got lost in the, in the uh, garage? Oh my God. They're looking so for great. the car, right? That is, yeah. That is so I great. I mean, the episode where they're hanging out in the Chinese restaurant forever. I mean, it's just, I don't even know how you, <laughs> right. How do you come up with this stuff? Right. I mean, it's yeah. just, yeah. Insane quality that I don't. I think is missing in today's TV programming. Who was your favorite character on Seinfeld? Oh, I, I was a. Uh, that's. A, I mean, obviously, I'm a Jerry fan, but I, I have to say Kramer, right? I mean, because Kramer was all over the place. I mean, the way he came in through the door, uh, it's just. Uh, it's a write-off. It's just. It's a write-off, right? I mean, it's just. It's <laughs> and just. Friend, and his friend Bob Sacamano. Bob Sacamano. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> And then some of the things he would do is just kind of crazy. There, It's just he was uh, – you just never knew what he was up to. And Jerry didn't know what he was up to, but it was always off you know, left field. And then he goes to Hollywood because he got all mad because <laughs> Jerry took his keys away. I mean – it's just, uh, it's just fantastic. Uh, he's probably my favorite of the group. It's amazing, though, of all of them, you could say the – I mean, Julia Dreyfus has been the most successful post-Seinfeld, right? Yes, yes. I mean, she's been remarkable. I don't know who would have predicted that if we, if we would have gone back in time and said, who's going to be the most successful moving forward? Uh, and they've all been somewhat successful in their own thing, but really Dreyfus has stood out post-Seinfeld. Yeah. yeah. And really separate – you know, because some of them, you know – She's always going to be a part of Seinfeld, but she's done other things now that people look, know her as, whereas a Jason Alexander is always going to be George. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's a, that's a tough stigma because, you, you know, I've seen Jason Alexander on, on a number of different things. He is such a talented actor. I mean, yeah. he's, he's done, uh, 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 you know, he did a comedic turn on uh, Young Sheldon. Uh, he, 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 did a, he did an episode of Criminal Minds where he was uh, one of those, those warped people that uh, that they had to had to you know pin down so he does a great job anything else I've seen him in he does a terrific job I agree and he's kind of been you know just hasn't had luck hasn't had the luck same for Kramer obviously with Michael Richards you know it's tough for him I mean with that such a dominant character like Kramer it's hard to all of a sudden be somebody else yeah, and that's is. we've and we've seen that throughout history in television. It's very difficult. You know, I think Jerry, and that's why I think you've noticed Jerry really hasn't done another TV show per se, as far as a sitcom. He's done more of his Netflix stuff, the talking in the car. It's more different, completely different. But even then, uh, every time you see Jerry, that's the, everybody's first thought is Seinfeld. I mean, it's, yeah, which is his ever, name? Would you ever want them to do a reunion show? I'm a reunion geek, so yes, I'm okay with reunions. Uh, I'm o- I always get sucked into those. I mean, I'm the wrong guy to ask because I was the guy <laughs> that was watching Beverly Night 90210's uh, recent relaunch of the prequel for that one season where they they were all older and and living their real lives as actors. So I'm I, I'm a sucker for that. 
for so I'm all on board for it. Sign me up. Okay, well, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of there with you. I'm a fan of the reboots and the reunion type stuff. That's for sure. So, uh, Eric, it's been a ton of fun as always. Always love having you on the show. Uh, why don't you uh, clue the folks in um, uh, where to follow you on social media and and the many endeavors that you are covering? Just follow me on Elo, Eric Lopez Elo. That's the easiest thing to do. Follow me there. Uh, we've got a lot of great content at Black and Gold Banneret for all the latest in UCF athletics. We do a weekly podcast with myself, Brian Murphy, and Jeff Sharon uh, as we're keeping up with all this drama with UCF and the American and what's going to happen this fall. Obviously, I'm covering the NBA uh, as well, and I do softball podcasts, so a lot of different stuff I'm doing there. And uh, we've been doing a lot of series on Black and Gold Banneret, the greatest athletes in UCF all-time history, the greatest head coaches of all-time history there, Jeff. So I know you've been reading that as well as far as following that uh, moving yep. forward. Uh, we'll be unveiling who's the greatest uh, coaches ever. We did that with the players. We just had Michelle Akers on recently, as a matter yes. of fact, who is phenomenal, phenomenal. We encourage you to check that out in the podcast. But, yeah, Eric lopez Elo is the place to be uh, to find out what I'm up to uh, on a daily basis. Outstanding work as always. We appreciate it, and uh, and uh, you're going to go get to work uh, covering some more bubble action in the NBA. Got a full day ahead of you, so we will let you get to it. Thank you so much for being on again. Thanks, Jeff. To anytime, buddy. That is the theme from Who's the Boss that aired on ABC from 1984 to 1992. The song called Brand New Life, written by series creators and executive producers uh, for that show. The music composed by Larry Carlton and Robert Kraft. Three versions actually used throughout the series run, which were performed by Larry Weiss from 1984 to 86. Steve Werner, I've actually heard of him, 1986 to 1989. And Jonathan Wolf from 1989 to 1992. Series starred Tony Danza of Taxi fame as Tony Maselli, a former Major League Baseball player, I believe, at the St. Louis Cardinals. He relocates to Fairfield, Connecticut to work as a live-in housekeeper for a divorced advertising executive, Angela Bauer, played by Judith Light. Also featured were Alyssa Milano as Tony's daughter, Sam, Danny Pintaro as Angela's son, Jonathan, and the late great Catherine Helmond of Soap fame as Angela's mother, Mona Robinson. And it did become one of the most popular sitcoms of the mid to late 80s. The series was nominated more for more than 40 awards, including 10 Primetime Emmy Awards, five Golden Globe Award nominations, winning one of each. It was also very successful in the ratings, as we said, consist- consistently ranked in the top 10 in the final primetime ratings between 85 and 89. The easygoing, spontaneous Tony and the driven, self-controlled Angela, of course, are attracted to each other though both are uncomfortable with that notion for much of the show's run, while there's definitely 
banter and hints of their feelings for each other, they do their best to avoid facing that aspect of their relationship and date other people. At the start of Season 8, though, Tony and Angela finally acknowledge their love for each other. However, the series does not end with the widely expected marriage, but on a more ambiguous note, and mostly due to the primary concerns by the network that a marriage uh, representing a definitive ending would hurt future syndication, there was also some buzz that uh, Tony Danza was against it as well, thinking that it wasn't the true intent of the program. And in recent weeks, now comes word that Who's the Boss is being rebooted. See, we talk about reboots uh, with Eric Lopez. And uh, now Alyssa Milano's character, Sam Maselli, will be a single mother living in the same house from the original series. So I would expect that uh, Tony would move in to help his daughter manage that single motherhood life. Um, there's reports that uh, Judith Light and Danny Pitaru, uh are definitely uh, in favor of the series. No no mention, though, if they're going to reprise their roles or not. And uh, unfortunately, Catherine Hellman uh, died within the last year at the age of 89. So we would uh, not be able to have her on the show. But uh, who's the boss? One of the great sitcoms of the 1980s. Thanks once again to Eric Lopez for being on the show and talking sports with us. And also, uh, if you are happen to be on OldSchool101.com, a version of this podcast now airs on that streaming channel Sundays, 3.30 to 4 o'clock Eastern Time. Again, that's OldSchool101.com. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.